church. Good <laughs> well, good morning. I trust all of the kids will have tons of energy this morning during my sermon, so I will move it quick. Um, I'm in a series uh, this month or the six weeks called Binge Reading the Bible. I am personally in love with the Bible, and the more I read it, the more in love with the Bible I become. And there are some, you know, tips and tricks and understandings along the way that will help people fall in love with the Bible more. So my goal throughout this series is to help you understand at least what I understand so that you can go on your own journey understanding the Bible. Binge reading the Bible part two. The series focuses on how God reveals his will and his desires for mankind through each of the specific sections of the Bible. There are seven groups, and if you were here last week, you know that I talked about the Pentateuch, Pentateuch, and that is the first five books of the Bible. The Pentateuch, I know it sounds complicated, but it means five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, it is critical, I think, for us to understand certain fundamentals about Scripture so that we don't get confused. If we're not careful, we will tend to apply things that aren't meant for us to apply to our own life, and we will ignore the things that God really wants us to focus on. You know, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 says that you and I need to study to show ourselves approved so that we may be able to rightly divide the word of God. What does that mean, rightly divide the word of God? It doesn't just mean to understand the word of God. It means to apply scripture where it is intended to be applied. You know, there are some scripture in the Bible that aren't meant for you. Are you with me, church? I mean, I'm sure that most of you are wearing two different types of linen today, right? Have you ever read that verse in the Bible? There is a verse where you shouldn't mix the different linens. Some of you um, are doing all kinds of things that are against Old Testament because specifically God wasn't speaking to you. Now, I'm not saying at all that Old Testament doesn't apply to us. I'm only suggesting uh, of the paramount... uh, thing that we need to focus on dividing rightly the word of God. There's a a couple of examples. I, I will start by saying this, that all scripture, all scripture is for us, but not all scripture is to us. And we need to know the difference. There, and, and throughout this series, I hope to highlight some of those differences. Um, you know, I think that even scripture that isn't to us, but is for us, is something that we can glean from. Anyone heard that phrase, glean? If you've been here on a Wednesday night, you know that we've talked about the three types of harvest. The first fruits, the main harvest, and the gleanings. The gleanings come from the field where if I have, say an orchard. I get my first fruits and I come and I sit down and I have a feast and the first fruits is a promise to a greater harvest. Okay. And then I do the greater harvest with the main harvest, but in, in, 
biblical times, they weren't allowed to pick every peach from the tree. They had to leave some of the peaches on the tree so that passers-by, when they passed by their land, maybe they were widows or orphans or just hungry travelers, um, they would see the leftover peaches. And that part of the harvest is called the gleanings. It wasn't intended for the owner of the field. It was intended for someone else. So in scripture, even in the things intended for the people of Israel, the Jews, I can still get some of the gleanings. I can pass by that scripture and I can understand it wasn't written to me, but it was written for me. And I can apply it to certain areas of my life. Uh, You know, there are a few examples um, and I won't use this sermon to break this down. I'll just wet your whistle a bit. But did you know that Jesus, when he came, and the Gospels describe Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'll describe this more when we get to the Gospels. Jesus preached a message known as the Gospel of the Kingdom of God. Right? This was before he died on the cross. He was going around. We know from, uh, let's see, Matthew 15, 24, Jesus says, I was sent to the lost house of Israel. So most of Jesus' teaching is to the lost house of Israel, where he is trying to get the Jews to understand that he is the Messiah, okay? The New Testament doesn't begin in Matthew 1.1. The New Testament begins when Jesus dies on the cross and he's resurrected. You follow me? So Jesus, when he's going around teaching, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. But what did Paul preach? Paul preached the gospel of grace. So we need to understand which gospel. It it seems like two different gospels, and I'll just give you a spoiler alert. They're not competing gospels. They're complementary. But you and I as Gentiles need to understand that there is a gospel of grace being proclaimed all throughout the world because that's not only for us, it is to us. Pentateuch means five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Oh, could I have my water, baby? Would you like a one-sentence description of each of the five books just so you can get caught up? If you've not read them, let me just give you the one sentence description. Genesis answers two big questions. How did God's relationship with the world begin? And where did the nation of Israel come from? That's Genesis. Exodus, God saves Israel from slavery in Egypt and then enters into a special relationship with them. Leviticus, God gives Israel instructions for how to worship him. Leviticus is a fun Fun book to read, especially chapters 19 through 25. It talks all about the feast, which I love to read about the feast. That's in Leviticus. In the book of Numbers, Israel fails to trust and obey God and wonders in the wilderness for 40 years. In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, just kidding. Deuteronomy, Moses gives Israel instructions and in some ways, a recap of the laws of Exodus and Numbers for how to love and obey God in the promised land. So that was last week, the Pentateuch. Now we're heading to the next section of books that I want to introduce to you, and it's the 
historical books. Look at your neighbor and say, historical books, I made an A in history. Um, Lord, we repent for the lies in this room. I love history. Anyone, like, anyone understand this? You love history after school. You get done with school, you get done with tests, and then you're like, oh, I like history now. Why didn't that kick in in sixth grade? <laughs> you know? I, I love history. I love the, the history books here in the Bible. And this section of the Bible makes up about 12 books that record a historical narrative in the events of the lives of the children of Israel. So this history includes the possession and loss of the land of Canaan, the rule of the judges and the kings, the division of the kingdoms, the exiles, and the return to Jerusalem. So we see a lot of movement in the people of Israel. Again, we've talked about Israel a lot as of late and understanding uh, we are not a church that supports nor believes in replacement theology. The church of Jesus Christ, you and I, we don't replace the covenants that God made with Israel. Okay? That, that those are still at play. Those are still at work. God is still going to redeem Israel, his chosen people. You and I got grafted into the vine, but this, these 12 books are the history of the people of Israel. Now, to, in order to understand the history books, uh, we met, must look at them as a cohesive model with an overarching theme. It's rooted in Israel um, and their back and forth movement from obedience to disobedience. In, in a nutshell, the historical books contain a cycle of Israel's rebellion, God's judgment, Israel's repentance, and God's deliverance. Should I say that again? Someone says, that sounds like my life. No, I'm talking about Israel. It is the timeline of their rebellion, God's judgment, their repentance, and God's deliverance. The first book, I'm going to give you one sentence uh, narratives of each book. Again, is that okay? There's 12 of them. Is it worth it? Can we, can we make it through? Okay, Joshua is the first one. Joshua is the first historical book. Joshua is Israel's new leader. He leads Israel to conquer and gain access into the promised land. Um, and then they parcel out the territory to the 12 tribes of Israel. Fun fact, the first half of Joshua is pretty much all the stories that you and I have heard about, like the big, you know, ridiculous, crazy, faith-filled stories of the walls of Jericho and all of these other grandiose stories. The second half of the book is a little more uh, laborious, how they divide up the land. The second book is Judges. The book of Judges describes Israel entering a cycle of turning from God, falling uh, into oppressive nations, into their hands. They call out to God, and they are rescued uh, by leaders that God sends their way called Judges. So, God uses judges to rescue his people. This is important for us to understand because we see how hard God is trying to reach mankind, reach people. He started with relationship in the garden. That didn't work out, right? Then we find out that there's law and there's feast 
dress rehearsals for future events to come. And God is in initiating things like Sabbath. Did you know the Sabbath, the Jews to this day should still fulfill Sabbath? Why? It's a reminder to them that God has a covenant with them. And he, he did all of that, and, and then that started falling apart. Then he goes to Judges, all right? You read about that in Judges, then the book of Ruth. It's a great book. Two widows lose everything and find hope in Israel, which leads to the birth of the future king, David. David is a big player in the Old Testament. After Ruth is first and second Samuel. First Samuel, Israel demands a king who turns out to be quite a disappointment. Now, let me just say, when you demand a certain particular king that you think you want to rule your nation, <laughs> who did they get? Saul. Not a very good choice, but they just were tired of the judges. They were tired of the old way, and God said, okay, I'm going to give them the king that they demand. Be careful which king you demand for. In 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, David, a man after God's own heart, becomes king of Israel. I, I love 2 Samuel. It's such a fantastic book. I actually love the life of David because he's such a flawed man, and God uses him anyway. I mean, David, come on. He sleeps around. He kills people. He, he's up and down. He's, you know, I would consider him a modern-day psychopath. <laughs> Yet God says, David was a man after God's own heart. It's a beautiful book. Then after that is 1st and 2nd Kings. 1st Kings, the kingdom of Israel, has a time of peace and prosperity under King Solomon. But afterwards, splits and the two lines of kings turn away from God. So we see that, that splitting in 1st Kings. Then in 2nd Kings, both kingdoms ignore God and his prophets until they both fall captive to other world empires. So we see the downfall of Israel big time in 2 Kings. Then we go to Chronicles. 1 and 2 Chronicles, which is where my text will be from today. But in 1 Chronicles, this is a brief history of Israel from Adam to David, culminating with David commissioning the temple of God in Jerusalem. And then in 2 Chronicles, David's son Solomon builds the temple but after centuries of rejecting God, the Babylonians take the southern Israelites captive and destroy the temple. There's a lot happening in 2 Chronicles. Then we get to Ezra. Ezra. The Israelites rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Then we get to Nehemiah. One of my favorite books of the Bible. Nehemiah is the story from which this church was founded. Nehemiah is the reason or... I should say the tool that God used to speak to Carrie and I as to where we should launch the church. And he said, come back to our homeland, just like Nehemiah. After Nehemiah, oh, and that is about the city of Jerusalem. It's in bad shape. Nehemiah goes and he rebuilds the city walls. Then we have the book of Esther. Someone hatches a genocidal plot to bring about Israel's extinction and Esther must face the emperor. Queen Esther must face the emperor for help. It's, Esther is a fantastic. There's so much rich history about the people of God in the historical books. But I want to take you specifically this morning in my remaining time to my text of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 
In the first part of chapter 7, Solomon is dedicating the temple. Then in verse 12, God appears to Solomon at night in a dream and says to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Then our text picks up in verse 13. And it says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land and send a plague among my people. Verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Maybe you've seen that floating around in a nice creative little meme, um, but that's where it comes from, Second Chronicles chapter 7, 14. But I want to continue reading on in verse 15. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. This is God speaking. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully as David, your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David, your father, when he said, you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. Verse 19. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them, and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. This is the scary sentence. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. What is God saying? If Israel is disobedient, he will uproot them from their land, and he will make the peoples of Israel a byword. He will publicly shame them. But it's not as harsh as you might think. Because what God is really doing is he's allowing Israel to be a witness for God. You see, Israel is a witness to the fact that God truly exists. Israel is the only nation in the history of the world that has been destroyed, people scattered across the globe, and then brought back as a people with this original language, original feast, original customs. That's happened twice. And, and this is the only people in the world that has done it. And guess what? The Bible told us well before that it was going to happen. Israel is a witness to the fact that God is real. Verse 21, the temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer because they have forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why he brought all this disaster on them. Now I selected this text to kind of summarize the historical books um, because the reality is what we learn in the books of history is that obedience brings a blessing. If I were to sum up all of the history books, obedience brings a blessing. Disobedience makes you a byword 
Well, it did for them, but we can talk when we get to the Gospels on what that looks like for us. But the thing I want you to walk away with today is obedience matters. Obedience is no small thing. Are you with me, church? Obedience is not legalism. I hope you're hearing me in the church and on the TV. Being a servant of a God who offers grace doesn't get us out of this notion of obedience. You know, we want to claim 2 Chronicles seven fourteen over our nation right now, don't we? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal the land. And we're like quoting that and we're just like crying to it and we're praying it and all of that. But do you ever notice what it really starts out with? If my people, if his people start acting like his people, then the land will be healed. You see, we want the world to act like his people. Don't get mad at the world for acting like the world. That shouldn't catch you by surprise. It shouldn't offend you. It shouldn't, it shouldn't even be tweet-worthy for you. Sin looks like sin. Lost people act, I'm yelling. Let me just bring this down. Lost people act like lost people. That shouldn't be offensive. That's why we have a gospel message to carry because there are still lost people in the world that need Jesus. You want to know what heals America, what heals the world? If the church of God will act like the church of God. Obedience is extremely critical, and we see that throughout the, the life of Israel. In all the history books, you will see it repeat. In fact, the more history books that you read, you'll start to giggle, and you'll be like, when are they ever going to get it? When are they? It's, it's easy to think that when you're reading about someone else, you know? <laughs> when are they ever going to get it? Because it's just this cycle uh, of obedience. God is calling them into obedience. He doesn't need to state again that which was the priority. He did that in the Pentateuch. Should I take you to our text from last week to remind you what is, what, what is the priority? Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, hear O Israel the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's that's the meat and potatoes of this thing. If we would just learn to obey that, just obey that. Love the Lord your God with everything on every day in every way, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what they tweeted about you, regardless of what you saw on the road. Keep focused, church. Keep focused in loving the Lord your God. Allow your obedience to flow into that. That will keep you busy for a lifetime. I'll leave you with a few thoughts on obedience. Obedience is one of those funny things that we understand its importance when our kids don't do it. 
yet we minimize the importance of obedience when we're talking about ourselves and showing up to work on time. Right? Oh, I got somebody there. Obedience, ourself and continuing in the faith. Ourself and loving our neighbor that has that political sign. It's funny, isn't it? Last night was Halloween. My family, we didn't give away candy, but we apparently gave away our political yard sign and didn't know it. <laughs> we woke up this morning. Wow. All right. Happy November. Um, obedience is, is so critical. You know, one thing I've been asking the Lord, I was having a conversation with a guy this, not this week, a week before, about nine days ago. And uh, sitting across from him and we were talking about kind of his growth edge, where the Lord was wanting to take him next as a Christian, as a believer, as a husband, what, what does that look like? And I made the comment and when I said it, you ever said something to someone else and when you said it to them, the Lord was like, that was meant for you. And you're like, dang it. I said to him, I said, just remember when you obey this one, when you obey this thing and step out in faith with this thing, there'll always be the next thing. There'll always be the next point of obedience. There'll always be the next point of faith, the next point of trusting God, the next point of humbling yourself. And I thought, oh Lord, so stop delaying on the thing that the Lord is trying to work on or, or, or don't even necessarily try to rush through and get it off your plate because there'll be something else to chew on when that one's done. Take your time with it. Spend time with the Lord. Allow obedience to work its process in your life. You see, I learned a long time ago that obedience is better than sacrifice. That's scriptural and it's so true. We get in these cycles where we just wanna please the Lord or maybe I'll put it even into context that you might can grasp a little bit easier. You wanna please your spouse. So you take your spouse on a vacation and you spend all this money or you clean the house for them and you do the laundry and you take care of the kids and you really sacrifice. But you know, the sacrifice is great, but you know what is really needed? The daily routine of love, humility, and sacrifice. Like the little things, Kyler. Not the grandiose things. And, and those are great and, and, and they're, they're appreciated. But church, listen, let's allow our obedience to rise above our pride in the sacrifice. Am I talking too philosophical or are you picking up what I'm laying down? Cooper, come here. Come here. Come here, Coop. How you doing, buddy? You're doing good. Oh, you bumped your little head. Does it hurt a little bit? Did mama take care of it? Yeah. I saw your mama said that this week you had a dry erase marker and you were 
writing on mama's whiteboard in her office and she walked in and she said, what are you doing? And you said, I'm Pastor Trey. (laughs) Is that right? You did that? Did you preach a good sermon? You did? Awesome. (laughs) Can I have a hug? Can I pray over you? Father, I just thank you for Cooper. God, I thank you for his beautiful family. God, I ask that you would just continue to draw him to your kingdom, to your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that he's placed in this church and that, uh, God, we are accountable to be stewards of his precious little gift. And we ask in Jesus' name that you continue to flourish all things, all things in his heart. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, buddy. Can you do a fist bump? All right. Wave at everyone. Wave at everyone. He's like, hey, I think I like this. (laughs) Cooper's amazing. Let's give it up for Cooper. I may have just taught him to interrupt my sermon every week. I'm not sure. He's a mess. I love those kids. And, of course, his older brother, Bryson, is back there. He's just phenomenal as well. Let's give it up for Bryson. All right. All right. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience brings transformation. The cycles of our relationship, and I'll I'll end with this, the cycles of our relationship with Jesus. You ever feel like your relationship with Jesus is kind of up and down. And one day you feel really close to him. And one day you, he just feels so distant. And some days you, you pray and it, it seems as if you can hear him and, or he hears you. And then some days you pray and it's like hitting that black, black ceiling and falling back down. I, I know, I understand, I've been there. I used to say, oh, that's normal, that's, that's normal. But I wanna challenge us today to maybe look through a different lens Let's look through a different lens because I wouldn't ever want my kids to feel like some days you should feel like my son and some days you shouldn't. Some days you should feel like my daughter, some days you shouldn't. You see, obedience, when we are really focused on obeying what the Lord is doing in our heart, It draws us and transforms us. It draws us into deeper connection and relationship with him. So this week, my challenge to you is take your Bible, spend some time with the Lord. Because obedience is a sanctifying work, right? It's transformation, sanctification. But we know that reading the word of God is sanctification. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Besides that, what are you going to obey if you don't read the word of God? You don't even know what to obey, right? So this week, let's spend some extra time in God's word and let's just see what he'll do in our life. I dare you to obey him. I dare you. This morning, the Lord told me to kneel down at the altar and I didn't want to do it because my shoes hurt my feet. I mean, that's really stupid, isn't it? I mean, really. The things that we, that we, we tell ourselves, the Lord says do something and we say, ah, we make excuses. The shoes hurt my feet. 
Yet David danced naked before the Lord. Aren't you glad he didn't tell me to do that this morning? (laughs) Let's find ways to be obedient to the Lord this week, this week. Father, I come before you today. I thank you so much for the history that we have. Yeah, the history that you have solidified in your children, but also the historical books that we can look and read and understand how you have moved through the generations and what that means for us today. God, we, we ask that we would have the courage to be obedient, the courage to grow, the courage to take that next step. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, Amen. Listen, if you want to grow more this week and you want to just dig into Scripture, I encourage you to text NEXT, N-E-X-T, to 512-980-1220. I love you guys. Have a great week.